All right, guys. Happy Mother's Day. How are you guys doing? All right. Very muffled woos. Excited for Mother's Day. All right. Uh, real quick before we start, I just want to say this about Mother's Day. Uh, it can be uh, a big celebratory day. Uh, it can also be kind of a painful day. Uh, it could be a day where um, it, it could be a moment of real gratitude, a day where you, if you had a really good mom and, or you're just really aware of the things that your mom brought to the table that were really helpful and loving and nurturing and amazing. Uh, but it can also be a time where you grieve the mom you wish you had, uh, where you consider the ways that maybe you had a mom who wounded you or abandoned you or a mom that was great who's no longer with us. Or maybe for some of us, it reminds us of the fact that we want to be a mom and we're not a mom yet. Whether it's we're not um, in a relationship where that can happen yet or, or we're struggling to conceive or whatever it is. It can be a celebratory day, but it can also be a confusing day uh, and a day that reminds us of pain. And so what I want to do is just, just pray real quick, quick prayer of blessing to ask God to comfort those who might be a little confused and to um, give us gr- and, and give gratitude um, for those who, or who, who are ready to celebrate. And so... Father, I, um, I thank you that it says in the Psalms that you are near to the brokenhearted, um, that, that you are right there with those who are crushed in spirit. And so for those who are confused today or feel brokenhearted today or, or are reminded of times in their life where they were very brokenhearted, uh, would you be near to them, Father? Would you reveal yourself to them as the parent that we really need, the truest parent? Pray for, yeah, just a sense of your, um, your parenting heart, Father. Um, your nurturing hearts. Um, I also pray for those women who are here who um, feel a lot of guilt over their own failures as mothers. Or they feel like, man, I, I yelled at my kids or I snapped at my kids or I was cold to my kids. Or, um, and even though they've apologized and done reparative work and asked for the kids' forgiveness, there's still this sense of guilt or shame that they aren't a perfect mom. And I pray that you would remind them that you are the perfect parent their kids need and that they can always point their kids to you. So I pray for, for, for some, some healing presence. I pray for grace, for failure. And, uh, and lastly, I just want to pray uh, a prayer of worship just to thank you um, for um, the different women you've put into our lives to nurture us, whether it was a mother or a grandmother, uh, a godly woman in the church, a, a teacher, a, a mentor, but someone who, who nurtured, who, who revealed something of your image to us, God, and nurtured something of your image in us. And so... Um, we, we ask that you would help us celebrate um, our, our, our moms, our mother figures, but that we would do so with grateful hearts, remembering who gave us um, those moms. So we love you, Jesus. Same we pray. Amen. Um, speaking of moms, uh, we do have a new mom in the Restored family. And for that announcement, I want to invite Jimmy Clark up here real quick. Oh, here he could give, give it up, folks. Give it up. Here he comes. Here he comes. Looking like a vice principal coming up at an assembly. <laughs> Cup of coffee in hand. Backpack. What, what news you got for us, man? Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, Jaya Ivy was born May 4th. Uh, that's our daughter, our new daughter. Uh, seven pounds, 13 ounces. She's doing great. Mom's doing great. We decided to give her a quiet morning this morning. That's why they're not here. So they're at home recovering. Thank you, guys. Love you guys. Um, I think Jackie's organized a meal train if anyone wants to jump on that. Um, but yeah, man, we're stoked to have Jay Ivy in the mix. I thought they were going to name her Andy, A-N-D-I, after me, but that fell, fell through. Um, all right, if you guys have Bible story, Romans chapter 6, you guys have journals, phones, tablets, Bibles. 
Also, guys, I think there's a very good chance we could be out of here in the next five weeks as much as we're going to miss the plane. So this, this won't last forever. Uh, Romans chapter 6. So last Sunday, if you guys watched the video of our service, you heard Brad preach on the first half of Romans 6. And Romans 6 comes on the heels of Romans 3 through 5, which really highlight how God justifies us or makes us right with himself. Now in Romans 6, Paul is saying... Um, once you are made right with God, something should happen in you. So once you are justified, made right with God, um, something should happen in you, and that's you should become like God. So we're not just justified. We're also what theologians call sanctified or set apart to become like God himself, to take on the character of Jesus. And essentially Paul is saying to be, and, and essentially to become like Jesus, to be set free from the power of sin. And again, Romans 1 through 2 into 3, Paul is laying out that sin has ruined our world and our lives. It's the parts of us that, you know, secular people might call dysfunction, but the scriptures call sin, where we, we do, we keep doing that thing that we know we shouldn't do. It's the part of us that makes us go, oh man, this is classic me. This relational pattern, this thing. Yesterday I was hanging out with my kids and my wife, and we we're having a really good day, honestly. And um, and I was really short, um, with my wife and I, um, it wasn't the craziest thing in the world, but I was really bummed out on me, uh, and my reaction. And I just thought again, man, oh man, I, I don't want to be this kind of guy. I don't want to be impatient. I don't want to be short. I don't want to be, um, okay to hurt people in my life. Even if it's queer, I want to become a, the type of person where even when I'm experiencing something unexpectedly, I might respond in love and kindness and I don't know about you, there's days where I'm so tired of the old me. I'm tired of classic me. I'm tired of, you know, dysfunctional relational patterns or, or sinful perspectives. And what Paul is saying is, is that deep down, if you are a true follower of Jesus, you have put your faith in him. You've trusted in what he did on the cross and in his resurrection to make you right with God, that there should be a desire deep within you to become like him to be reconciled, to be united to him, is to, to go, hey, I want to become like him. And Paul is essentially saying to be set free from the power of sin, to become like him. Um, there are things that you need to know, and there are things that you need to do to grow, to be sanctified. There are things that you need to know and things that you need to do. And, and Brad talked last week at length about what we need to know, okay? Um, what we need to know. And this week, we want to look at what we need to do. And the what we need to know... Brad talked about last week is that Jesus died not only to make a way for us to be justified, but also to break the power of sin in our lives. Don't forget, sin has marred everything in the fall. But Paul says there's good news. Jesus died to set you free from that power of sin, that part of you that's not as it's supposed to be. In Romans chapter 6, 6 to 7, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer, may no longer, may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. He's like, you know how, he's saying, I think we all know that you'd be free from the power of sin when you are dead because you can't do anything anymore, right? He's saying in the same way, you functionally, you died with Jesus. Functionally, um, you, 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 Sin has as much power over you as it does someone who's no longer alive, okay? And so what we need to know is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, when we put our faith in him, we're set free from the power of sin, which does beg the question, if I have been set free from the power of sin, Andy, why don't I feel free 
from the power of sin? Why don't I feel free from the broken parts of who I am? Why do I still struggle so much? And I think part of it, and we're going to get into what Paul's going to teach here, is because it's one thing to know we have been set free. It's another thing to live out that freedom. It's one thing to know we have been set free, and we need to know it to live it out. But it still is a struggle to learn how to live free, which leads us to today's message. It's, it's what do we need to do, not just know, to experience the freedom Jesus died to secure for us. And so there's three things um, Paul lays out in this text that I think we need to do to experience what Jesus has accomplished for us. And there are these. Number one, we need to remember who we are. Number two, we need to stop offering ourselves to sin. And number three, we need to start offering ourselves to God. Number one, remember who we are. Number two, stop offering ourselves to sin. And number three, start offering ourselves to God. And so as you move through Romans 6, again, Paul is laying out his theology of how we change. And the first thing he looks at is he says, change begins by embracing at your core the new identity God has given you in Jesus. Paul is saying it, it really begins with how you see yourself, that we do, we, we, we do what we believe we are. We live out of the identity we think we possess. And so in Romans 6, 11, um, um, Paul writes this. He says, to, to reckon yourself as dead to sin or to consider yourself as dead to sin. And consider um, is a word we've seen before. Um, uh, some, some translations say count or reckon. Uh, consider, uh, it's, it's actually an accounting term. It's like to, to consider something to be a certain value or a certain thing. Like you see a, a bill or a coin or um, with cryptocurrency, how much is this coin worth? You, you go, this is how much this is worth. This is what this is. This is the status this thing has. Uh, if you remember in Romans 4, Paul used the word counts or reckon to talk about how God credits righteousness to us when we trust Jesus as a substitute for our sins. When we put our faith in Jesus, um, when we're resting in him, God counts our faith as righteousness. Maria talked about that in Romans chapter 4. Now in Romans 6, it's not that God's doing the reckoning. It's God's already done the reckoning. He's already said we are something. In Romans 6, it says we need to agree with that. If God sees us as righteous, then we need to see ourselves as righteous. Does that make sense? Um, he goes, this is who you are. You need to remember who you are. So we're to count ourselves as already dead to sin. And when we do, God infuses the power of new life into us through what Jesus did for us. And so how it works is, again, when we put our faith in Jesus, God reckons our faith as righteousness. And as we reckon or see ourselves as dead to sin, God gives us the power to walk in righteousness. Um, just as we, we believe our way into being justified, we believe our way into being sanctified. I'm living out what I'm choosing to believe what's already there. Um, and you might be thinking, again, I don't feel dead to sin. And that's not the question. It's not, do you feel dead to sin? It's, it's, it's are you dead to sin? Does that make sense? I remember back in the day, uh, we had a, a prison ministry we were connected to. And I remember talking to people who'd come out of prison, and they would say, I don't feel free. It's so weird. Like, I'm out here, but I still, I, I don't feel free. Um, and, it's, it's, and it's like, no, but you are. And so 
learning to step into a new life is to go, um, I, even though I don't feel this way and it doesn't feel natural to me, I can still walk in what this is. Um, and as you continue to believe it, God transforms you. Uh, again, Abraham, remember in, in Romans chapter 4, uh, at, at the age of 90, him and Sarah, after a life of in, infertility, a lifetime of infertility, um, God says, hey, you're going to not just have a kid, but a son who will become a mighty nation. Now, when God said that, it says Abraham believed him, right? And it was credited as righteousness. Um, when Abraham believed him, it didn't make sense on paper. It didn't feel real, okay? He was like, you know what? I, I've, I've seen some studies lately and some women in their 90s are doing some amazing things with their wombs. Um, you, know, you know, me and Sarah lately, our, our intimate times have been pretty amazing. I could see this happening, God. It logically makes sense to me. No, Romans says he believed what God said even when he didn't feel it, even though he knew his body was way too old to help make a baby happen. And Romans 4 said he received strength. And so we also receive strength to walk in the fact that we are dead to sin, even if we don't feel that way. And by the way, this isn't like um, getting yourself pumped up like a self-help thing, like I'm a champion, I'm a champion, I'm a champion. Like you look at yourself in the mirror. You're courageous, you're flawless, you're brave, you're enough. No, that's trying to make yourself feel, you're trying to change reality by talking yourself into it. This is precisely the opposite. Something has been declared and I'm seeking to align myself with what is true of me. And by the way, this is how the New Testament always lays out how we're transformed. This is the order, right? Identity first, actions follow. Identity first, actions follow. It probably looks like I'm doing it backwards as a hand motion to you. But identity first, actions follow. Be who you already are. One author describes this dynamic of identity before actions like this. I thought this was really helpful. It talks about progress and position. He says, throughout Paul's letters, he distinguishes between our fundamental position before God and our ongoing progress in becoming like God. God declares us to be righteous in Christ's position, and then we seek to walk righteously in this world, progress. God adopts us as his sons and daughters into his family, position, and then calls us to walk as obedient sons and daughters before him, progress. God decisively sets us apart for his purposes, position, and then calls us to daily walk in those purposes, progress. God definitively delivers us from the dominion of sin, position, and then calls us to live as free men and women, progress. Paul assumes there's a decisive beginning to the Christian life, often called conversion. It happens when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, opens our eyes to believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again for us and our salvation. This beginning settles our position before God. We are righteous. We are accepted. We are God's sons and daughters. We are free. Paul points to this decisive moment when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And then the rest of the Christian life, I love this way he says this, and then the rest of the Christian life is an attempt to live in and live out of that fundamental truth. In other words, we seek to be perfected and completed to grow into the fullness of salvation over the course of our lives. Again, the, the, the Christian life 
you, you move forward by believing what God has done and trusting in it. Um, by the way, you see this. This is really powerful. Um, when you look at the way that Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan, he, he's, he's, he's tempted to power and materialism and comfort and these things that we all know what it's like to be tempted by. But he starts with, if you are really God's son, if God really loves you, he starts with a temptation. He starts with a lie around identity. God had just declared over him, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well pleased in Greek, it's an infinite pleasure. I could not love you more than I love you, Jesus. That's what the father is saying over him. And then he goes out and, and, and the enemy comes and says, hey, do you think God really loves you? And then he goes, you need to fend for yourself. You need to make your own way. And isn't that what he does with us? He goes, oh man, you, God doesn't love you. People don't love you. You're a mistake. You're defined by your mistakes. You're guilty. You should be ashamed. Just give up. You'll always be this way. Is that core lie? As opposed to, actually, I don't have to always be this way. There is redemption in Jesus. There is transformation. And I just want you to see this. Um, if, if, if Satan uses an identity attack to try to get Jesus, it's got to be his best thing. Right? Like, like he, didn't bring, he didn't bring Jesus the B game and brings you the A game. J- just so you know. He's not like resting his starters against Jesus and then, and then playing, you know, LeBron against you or whatever. So probably that's the best thing he can play. And fundamentally in the New Testament, there's a, um, when you get your identity, you are very hard to deal with in terms of the enemy. Temptations, it, it, it struggles to beat you when you really know who you are. And so it's true that we are dead to sin um, because, not because we always feel it, but because God has declared it through Jesus. The other thing I want to say, and this is really important, and this might be clarifying, it says we're dead to sin, not to temptation. We're dead to sin, not to temptation. Some of us are like, man, I'm not changing because I'm still tempted. Jesus was tempted. Again, you're not better than Jesus. And I hope that's encouraging, okay? Uh, something that's really helpful, Galatians 5, 16 to 17 says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want, okay? So I want you to see, um, Paul says, if you're walking in the spirit, you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. That means when you walk in the spirit, there is still a desire of the flesh, a.k.a. temptation. Temptation is not a sign that you're broken, but you don't have to give in to every temptation. You don't have to carry out the desire. You don't have to carry it out. Do you see the distinction? Every day, guys, this, this is the bad news. Every day until we, we go to be with Jesus, there is going to be a war for your soul, for your heart, okay? Temptation is coming for you, but we don't have to be enslaved to it. We're not enslaved to it unless we choose to be. We're like prisoners in a cell with our own key. We sometimes forget we have the key and that we can use it, but, but we can. Um, so it's not a sin to have temptation, but we don't have to indulge the temptation, um, 
by the way, it makes sense that we feel like we have to give into it if we've spent a lifetime giving into it. Again, just because your position changes in an instant doesn't mean your perspective changes or what comes naturally changes. Um, uh, there's an account of a guy who came over from Russia during uh, the, kind of the height of the Cold War. And he basically decided he was going to be a traitor. Uh, he came to America. He was a you know, Russian Air Force pilot. And he came and he shared state secrets and he was given asylum and, you know, kind of a political, you know, uh, political asylum. And he was given citizenship eventually. And he got there. And this was the height of communism not going well for Russians, especially with the economy. And he came and he, he said, so um, how do I get food? Like, how does this work? And they're like, well, you go to the store. He's like, okay, but, but who decides what I get at the store? And, and he, they said, you, you decide what you get at the store. He said, what do, you, what do you mean I decide? I don't get to pick. And he said, no, you do, right? And he said, I thought, and he said, and again, he, his last couple of years, he had gone to the post office once a week in Russia, and they would hand out the, the portions for the week based on what they thought you, whatever they were going to give you. Does that make sense? And, and again, he said he struggled, like, like the decision anxiety was off the charts. And, the, and even though he had a new status and he was in a new nation with new ways, those old ways still felt very real to him. There are many accounts um, post-emancipation proclamation where African-American men and women who had been enslaved uh, talk about how they would see, some of them would see, their, there's a couple letters where they talked about seeing their old masters again and how they felt this fear and dread and felt like, oh no, I, I'm enslaved, even though they weren't some brilliant writing by ex-slaves who became Christians who were illustrating these points. And so... You can become so used to something, you can become so ingrained that you think, oh, that, that's all I am, I am a slave, or this is the way it'll always be. So I say that just to say it's a process to unlearn your former way of life, even after you become a follower of Jesus. But it's a process that is real. You will change. One day you will see him and be like him. So we have to uh, consider ourselves as dead to sin. Actually, I don't have to do this if I don't want to. I don't have to do this. Uh, but you have to act on that reality. You can say, I don't have to do this, and then do it. Uh, how do, how do you, what do you do next? So number two is stop offering ourselves to sin. Um, Romans 6 verse 12 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Again, you're going to have, you have sin still, but you don't have to obey it. Verse 13, do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. He's saying don't offer your body to sin. We'll get into this in a second. There's even a physiological reality of what happens when we give ourselves over to something. Verse 15 says, what then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Again, two metaphors for sin I want to look at here are slavery and addiction. Slavery and addiction. They go together and they're fairly connected. Um, I remember when I was a college pastor uh, back in the day, many, many moons ago, and we did a fundraiser for an organization called the Bilateral Safety Corridor Coalition. 
And they are a nonprofit that helps stop human trafficking from Tijuana to San Diego, uh, inside of Tijuana and inside of San Diego. And um, I remember we raised, I, I was pumped, man, a college, we raised 10 grand. Um, we were pumped, and it was like coins and cash and gift cards, and it was a wild donation, uh, but we were stoked. And so me and this other guy went over with the, the, the money, and I remember we, it was very hard to give them the money uh, because it was like all cash, uh, and we were like, um, we want to bring this to you, and, and, um, and they, I said, where's your physical office? And they said, well... Um, who are you? You know, and they had all these questions and I would lay it all out and they said, okay, um, uh, here's our address, you know, come here and then, and, you know, call us. And so we got there and it was a national city and I'll never forget. I got there and it was like a mechanic shop. And I was like, Hey guys, I think it's the wrong address. You know, this is like 15, I don't know, 13 years ago, pre Google maps really working or whatever. And I'm like, man, I think I'm at the wrong place. And they're like, no, 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 that's it. Or they asked, they asked the same questions again. Who are you? Why are you here? Da, da, da. And they said, okay. And they said, well, we're going to give you a password. Um, wait a second. You know, da, da. And this mechanic shop, the, they opened the door. And I'll never forget it. There was this guy who was a security guard. And um, he opens like a little hatch. And he was like, hey, who are you? Da, da, da. Asked for a password. Gave him a password. And he said, okay, hang on. And I'll never forget it. There was a, um, he had to open the door, but to do it, he had to remove this like bar. It was like, it was like a metal bar, the size of like a, a car bumper. And that was their deadlock. So it was like literally kind of all the way across like an old school fortress situation. He opened it and then he opened the door and then we came in and said, Hey guys, sorry about all the security. He said, this is actually the safe house where we bring girls when they get rescued. The, like right the initial place we take them. Um, to help get them to, to start the process of getting them help. And, uh, and so obviously pimps aren't the nicest guys. And if they find them, it could be really violent. And so we, you know, take safety precautions, da, da, da. And I was like, man, that must be a really, that must be such a hard part of this thing. And, and, and I remember talking to this lady, she said, you know, Andy, um, more often than not, it's not the pimp's physical presence that pulls the girl back. It's the mental control they have over them. It's the fact that they have instilled in them a, a false identity and they've also fed them an addiction and it makes them think this is all I can do. This is what my life is. I'm stuck here. And she said the worst thing is when they go back on their own accord because it's all they know and think it's all that they're capable of. And so the pimps knew what all oppressors throughout history from Satan on down know Right? If, if, if someone thinks they can only be one thing, they will be that one thing. And so even though they're technically free, many return to slavery. But if someone knows they're free, even if it's hard, they can be taught to live free. And she said, oftentimes, though, if we can get them through that initial stage, um, we can reinstill a new sense of identity and help them get help for things like drug addiction and uh, you know, get therapy and start to, to move forward with their life. But the temptation is so strong for us to go back to what we've known. You know, I've always given into this temptation to make myself feel better, to protect myself. Um, but again, when I believe I'm free, I can ask, how would a free person live here? I go, hey, I don't have to obey this dark, these dark commands anymore. I don't have to give into this temptation. And the thing that Paul lays out here, this principle in this text, is the more we obey something, the more we allow it to master us. The more we obey it, the more we allow it to master us. The more we give ourselves over to something, the more it, it, it takes control. 
again, Paul's, uh, Paul's anticipating here. Um, you know, he says, should we just go ahead and sin? And he says, of, of course not. And he says, um, you know, he, he anticipates people asking, you know, hey, if I'm not going to be punished by God for my sin because Jesus died on the cross for me, why not just be free to sin? And Paul's response is that sinning always leads to slavery. It always gets out of hand. I remember my wife and I, we went to a, uh, there's a, um, a big cat reserve thing called Lions and Tigers and Bears in like Alpine. Have you guys have heard of that? It's like a, basically they rescue, so the story on it is, is a bunch of people privately own, illegally privately own like Lions and Tigers. And um, I don't know if you guys know this, there are more privately owned tigers in America than in all of India in the wilderness. Um, and so you can get tiger cubs for like $3,000. Um, and, uh, and typically what happens is people are like, man, how cute is a tiger pup, a tiger cub? Uh, how cute's this thing, right? And then over time, uh, it stops being cute. It demands thousands of dollars in food. And, uh, and also it can kill you, right? Uh, and it starts to take over the house. And so what happens is, is a lot of times they'll get taken away by law enforcement. But, all, but more often than not, people go, can you take this big cat? Because we don't, we, can't, we don't know what to do anymore. What starts cute always gets out of hand. And so the more we sin, the more out of hand it gets. The more out of control it gets. The more enslaved and addicted we are. And so Paul is saying, man, if freedom is doing whatever you want and doing whatever you want includes sin, um, that's not really freedom. The gambling addict who has lost all of his family's money and is bankrupt and keeps going back for more, is not free. The person who's addicted to, to drugs or pornography or whatever it is, they're not free. The more we sin, the more enslaved to sin we will be. And again, every time we say yes, we make it harder to say no in the future, is what Paul is saying. Now, this is true as a spiritual principle, but it is also true at a physiological level. Okay. Um, again, the, the Bible and science, um, it, there's often this accusation that people who follow Jesus don't trust science. And I guess some don't, but there's no reason that they shouldn't roll together. Uh, God created our bodies, created the world we live in. He created the laws. Um, th- there are natural laws because there's a law giver. Um, the, the biblical's view, the Bible's view of life uh, lines up with science. Um, Christians, kind of the early pioneers of science. Um, and that's true here as well. Romans 6, 12 through 13 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. And so sin can reign in our mortal body. And instead of being the thing that we use to worship God, it could be the thing driving us to disobey God. It could be the thing that keeps us. Um, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, in the area of pornography. Uh, uh, Joe Rigney in his excellent book on lust writes this. He says, the latest neuroscience on porn confirms the Bible's description. Essentially, pornography rewires the brain. The brain is what scientists call plastic. It's capable of being shaped and molded and then of holding that new shape over time. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the phrase neuroplasticity. And it's the idea that your brain can be wired or rewired or shaped or reshaped. Um, brain plasticity is particularly high during one's teenage years. As we age, our brains become less malleable, but still malleable. Uh, given that, that's why many encounter uh, pornography as teenagers. It's no surprise they become hooked and find it difficult to break the habit as they get older. Porn weaponizes the brain so that sin is easy and obedience is hard. 
Sin is easy and obedience is hard. It says looking at it triggers neurological, chemical, and hormonal events that leave a mark on the brain. Frequent use hardens the neural pathways and molds the brain so that it craves it. Of course, this isn't unique to porn, alcohol, drugs, video games, smartphones, food. All of these can do the same, but porn is somewhat unique in that it is a polydrug, meaning it is both an upper, a dopamine high like cocaine, and a downer, an opiate release like heroin. I won't go into all the details, but it is useful to see how... um, I'll skip through some of this stuff, but what I want you to see is, is, uh, the quote ends with this, like Pavlov's dog, we can be conditioned to respond to certain stimuli, but what I want you to see is that your body can get to a space, your brain get to the space where obedience is hard and sin is easy. Now, what you need to know is that um, over the last few years, as sobering as that is, to see how addictive sin can be, is that neuroscience has revealed that our brains continually, continue to be malleable until the day we die. You can teach old dogs new tricks. You can retrain your brain. Um, uh, You can rewire your brain. Neuroplasticity uh, doesn't end when you're no longer a teenager. Ironically, with all the scientific research done, they found that one of the strongest weapons to rewire your brain, millions of dollars of research, is contemplative prayer and meditation. Contemplative prayer and meditation. But it also involves the commitment to stop feeding the beast. It's not moralistic to say we should say no to sin and we should actually try. Many of us don't struggle with sin. We just give in when we just give in um, to it. Um, um, we, some of us actually have to actually make a decision to work at no longer giving in to our temptations. We're not going to be perfect in this. It's a process. But I want to tell you, you're not in that process, if you never say no, if you just cave and go, you know what? I've got no chance. No, you have to remind yourself, no, no, no. I'm dead to this. Now you may need help living out that freedom again. And I want to say this. um, You cannot get free from sin by yourself. You need to reach out for help, not just to God, but to others. And preparing this message that the people that were really on my heart were those wrestling with addiction. Anyone who's ever gotten free from an addiction, a serious addiction, hasn't done it by themselves. AA tells us this. Um, NA tells us this. SA tells us this. Um, every, every recovery group tells us this. Frankly, every, like, most weight loss programs tell us this now, right? That, that we rarely get ourselves out of the trouble that we have built over time, that we need help. Family, and I just want to say this, I don't care what you are wrestling with, we would love to help you. If you're like, you know what, I want to be free from this, but it's really hard, we want to help. Maybe your anger is out of control, or you're, you're struggling with pornography, or with drinking too much, or whatever it is, man, like, we, we want to help. We really, really do. But we can't help if we don't know what's going on in your life. And so um, we would love to, to walk with you to help you make a plan to uh, not just rewire your brain, but learn to walk in obedience. And so please feel free to contact us, reach out. We, we'd love to help. We're not going to tell everyone your news. We really do want to help you experience freedom. So again, to walk in newness of life, we need to, one, remember identity. Two, stop offering ourselves to sin, which leads to point number three. We need to offer ourselves to God. Paul writes, verse 17, but thank God that although you, you used to be Slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching 
to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. That's what we want. Verse 19, I am using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcomes of those things is death. So Paul returns to the analogy that whatever we obey, we become enslaved to. When we offer ourselves to sin, we become enslaved and addicted to sin. But when we offer ourselves to God, we become free and whole and fruitful. One way we've talked about understanding our sin here at Restored is through the idea of idols. Uh, We haven't talked about this in a while, um, but that's one way to help understand this idea of giving yourself to something. Um, the things, the, it, idols are the things we turn to to give us what only God can. The things that we functionally worship. I understand many of us don't have statues we, we bow down to anymore, um, but we actually worship way more passionately than those that do bow down to statues. So I want you to think about the things that you sacrifice time, money, energy, and emotions for. Everyone worships. It's just answering the question, what do you worship? If you're honest with yourself. And so, again, I'm going to do a quick diagnosis. Um, Some of you guys will be familiar with this. I do want to say, though, if you're familiar with the idea of idolatry, you shouldn't be comfortable engaging in it, okay? Uh, Mentor of mine, a guy named Steve Cuss, he says that we we are way too hyped on self-awareness. And self-awareness can't change us in the way we think it can. It's the beginning of a journey to transformation. I preached a whole message on self-awareness. I'm pro-self-awareness. But you can know your Enneagram and you can know your idols and not change at all. He says, oftentimes we, it's, it's like we're walking around a cancer treatment center with our cancer diagnosis going, I have this kind of cancer. It's like, that's broken in you. This is designed to show you where you're broken and where you need to, to turn to God. And so don't just be familiar with the concept of idolatry Stop offering yourself to the idols. Daily, we need to go, I'm not going to give myself to this. It's not a cute thing. Again, it grows into a tiger. Um, so a couple of idols. I'll read through some of these descriptions. Uh, we're going to look at the main four that David Pallison and, and Tim Keller talks about. There's this phenomenal counselor named David Pallinson, P-O-W-L-I-N-S-O-N. We also have a guy at our church named David Pallison, uh, both uh, you know, phenomenally wise, okay? But this is the, the counselor, okay? So we, uh, here's a couple examples. One's power, okay? Some people, uh, if, if power is your idol, you love influence and recognition. Uh, you, seek, uh, you seek that through things like money and status because those, uh, th- that's how you get it. So for you, uh, money is not about spending it on making yourself feel good. It's about making yourself look important. The real thing is, is, is power. Um, the second idol is control, Okay? Um, control could look similar to power, but it's different. Um, some people want everything to go according to their plan and want to know that in the future that everything will go according to their plan, okay? So not a lot of flexibility here. Um, they don't like uncertainty. They have to have things happen on their terms and according to their timetable. If that timetable is thrown off, even by a few minutes, they become irritable, impatient, even angry, right? Now, again, it's not bad to have a plan. It's when he goes off plan, what are you willing to do to get it back on track? Who, are you willing to hurt people? 
Are you willing to steamroll people? Are you willing to, to cut others out? Are you willing to sin? Uh, so, so that's control. The third one's approval, okay? Approval. Uh, some people crave to be accepted. They can't be happy unless certain people are happy with them, admire them, or desire them, which is brutal because people are fickle. So criticism is devastating to them. Not being affirmed is devastating. Feeling like they're not attractive enough is devastating. Many times they're often cowards. They don't do the right thing, not because they don't know what it is, but because they don't want to deal with the disapproval of, uh, of others for doing it. So they cave to the pressure around them. It could be society, friends, whatever. Number four, pleasure or comfort. Some long for ple- uh, physical delights, the good life in sensual terms, be that sexual pleasure, uh, vacations, food, uh, kind, of, kind of just creature comfort city. Um, but, but, but you just want to feel good physically. So power, control, approval, pleasure. Uh, which of those four is yours? Just think about that for a second, your main one that you give yourself over to. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of those in and of themselves. It's not bad to want to control, but you're called to self-control, not to control others. It's not bad to want to experience comfort, but what are you willing to, to do to get it? It's not bad to um, want to have influence and use it for, for the benefit of others. So that power can be used really, really well in the hands of the right people. It's not bad to want to be liked. You shouldn't want to not be liked, okay? No one should be walking around. Like, people are like, man, I'm just persecuted. It's like, also, you're a jerk, right? I love conflict. Okay, relax. But at the same time, if you're enslaved to approval, that's so different. Now, when we worship idols, what we offer ourselves to something other than, when we worship ourselves to something other than God, the fruit becomes clear over time, which Paul's getting at. It leads to death, physical death, mental death, spiritual death. Um, Paul uses this word to describe sin. It's the word, um, you know, desire or epithumia. So thumia just means desire. Uh, Epi means the desire becomes so large that it controls you. Okay, that's another way to look at idols. I have to have it. I have to have it. I have to have it. So you start thinking, you start thinking, sorry, you start thinking things like, man, if I make a certain amount of money, right, then I'll be somebody, right? We all want to make money, but you're like, if I don't make a certain amount, I'll always live a second class life. Or I want a family, right? Um, and if I can't have that, life doesn't, isn't worth living. A family where I'm a parent or whatever. I want to be noticed. I want my coworkers or boss or my whoever to, to recognize me, value me, commend me. And if not, I'll be jealous and envious and resentful. Again, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but when they become your masters, it, they lead to death. When you, when you offer yourself to that instead of God. Again, Romans 6.21 says, So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of, the outcomes of those things is death. Again, every master besides God leads to death. If you're enslaved to approval, your life will be plagued by constant self-pity, hurt feelings, or a sense of inadequacy. If you're enslaved to comfort, you won't be able to say no to things like food or sex or start using things like drugs or porn or adultery. In fact, you might get addicted to those things. If you're enslaved to power, you could become domineering and vengeful, harsh, even abusive. If you're enslaved to control, you'll worry all the time. You'll lose your temper a lot, and people around you will feel manipulated, and they should feel manipulated because you're manipulating them. <laughs> you're trying to control them. 
Now, who wants to be this, these type of people? Right? Like, who wants this? No, nobody? Okay. But that's who we become when we offer ourselves to sin, to idols. But when we offer ourselves to God, something different happens. Jump to verse 22. It says, but now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. And eternal isn't just forever life. It's abundant life. It's life with God here and now. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's another master, and Paul says, this master actually gives you life. Every other thing we could give ourselves to says, give me more of yourself or else. Money, power, romantic love, on and on and on. But what you need to know is that when you give yourself to Jesus, you actually get the thing your heart's looking for. Um, Jesus is more secure than money. I don't know if you guys have ever seen, if you watch the markets at all, anyone who gets really into the markets has this in common. They all get stressed out. The more the portfolio goes up, the more stressed out they get. Oh, it's going, it could come, it's going well, but it's not, it can't keep going. I, I got to sell, I got to sell, I got to sell. Oh, I'm going to fall behind, I got to buy. Everyone's saying that, I got to buy, I got to buy, I got to buy. You've seen our economy the last 12 years, like it, it is uncertain. That's why Paul in another place says, don't put your hope in riches, but in God who richly provides. We put our hope not in the provision, but in the provider. Jesus is secure and he never crashes. Jesus is more fulfilling than romantic love. I know this is hard to believe. Those who have romantic love can tell you it's good, but it doesn't satisfy the deepest parts of your soul. This is why marriages fail so often. We put too much pressure on marriage. We ask it to do what it can't do. We believe kind of the Jerry Maguire nonsense. You complete me, right? If you complete me, then you can destroy me. If you complete me, right? You can have me. Half me. (laughs) Jesus knows the worst things about us and loves us anyways. The desire of every human is to be known and loved. And we all assume if you knew me, you wouldn't love me. And if you love me, it's because you don't know me. He's like, I know more about you than you know about yourself. And I love you more than you love yourself. As your creator and redeemer, that's my relationship to you. I'll never cheat on you, even when you cheat on me. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll always prioritize you. I'll always pursue you. Knowing Jesus is better than earthly power What greater power is there than the power who upholds all creation? And he's on your side. He's going to take, he doesn't always give us what we want, but he absolutely will give you what you need. And it's better that he's in control than you. Jesus is better than achievement. This might be hard to believe, but I promise you, Jesus is better than achievement, uh, right? Uh, Hearing well done, good and faithful servant from Jesus at the end of your life will be better than likes on Instagram. It will be better than being retweeted by a celebrity. It will be better than getting the corner office. It will be better than having that title. It will be better than any of that. And again, so often when we get those achievements, some of the portfolio thing, you freak out and go, I got to protect my turf. You can rest in Jesus. 
everything you compare to compare Jesus to, he wins. So why not offer ourselves to him instead? Why not offer ourselves to the one who can only, the only one who can actually give us what we need? So family, I want to challenge you. I'll call Mariel up now to move into a second set of worship. I want to challenge you to daily present yourself to Jesus. I mean, what would your life look like if you intentionally thought about how to, I've really got to trust the Holy Spirit because it's like, Andy, get a little preaching momentum. No, you're not. Um, <laughs> a little tricky. Um, what would it look like if daily you thought through, okay, how am I going to offer myself to God and how am I going to not offer myself to sin today? Like just, I know it's big, big picture. It's stressful just today. What if you started your day and you said, before you start the day, you were to say, Jesus, you are all I really need today. I'm putting that in front of me. <clears throat> thank you, Jesus, that before I start this day, you love me. And thank you that in your eyes, I am significant today. Thank you that I work from significance, not for significance. Thank you that I'm not defined by the mistakes I will make today. Thank you, Jesus, you died for the sins I'm going to commit today. Thank you, Jesus, that you are in control so I don't have to be today. Jesus, thank you that what you think of me defines me, not what others think of me today. Not that guy or that girl or my boss and then, you, and then you can move from there. You thank him for that stuff. And then you go, now, what are you calling me to today? Following Jesus requires following him, but, but following is, is it's one step at a time. It's day by day. You build a new life. You build new neurological pathways. You build new patterns, new habits, new whatever. It's today, Lord, right? As I look at my schedule today, where am I going to be tempted to sin or turn from you realistically as I look at my schedule today, who do you want me to love that I'm gonna, I know I'm going to see today? How do you want to use me to love others today? Who and how? I want to offer myself to you to experience the fruit of what offering myself to God gives. And so right now what I wanted to do um, as we go into worship is, um, do you guys have your communion cups? Got these little things? Um, Again, I am sorry. I, one of my favorite things post-COVID is going to be real bread. Um, I don't know what Diet Coke does that's bad to your body, but this wafer's worse, okay? I'm sorry. So that's the spirit to nourish you and heal you. It's organic cardboard. Also, if you want to start bringing your own bread, uh, you can do that. You know, if you, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. We're grateful for what we have, but it's tough. definitely another scenario where Jesus is the better bread. Uh, so he's better than what we compare it to. But guys, I just want to say to you, we have in front of us, you and I, today and every day, we have in front of us a pathway to live a new life. You really do. You don't have to settle for the way you've been living if you are a follower of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, walking into resurrection power you really can be set free from addiction and dysfunction and sin, but you have to take a step. But before that step starts, before we have a key to walk out of a prison cell, there is one who gave us the key. And it cost him everything. And so right now I want to thank Jesus for, for doing that very thing. And so Jesus, I thank you that 
you died on the cross so that we would die to the power of sin, that you took the power of sin away in your death and in your resurrection, and you're waiting for us to step into that power. It requires effort from us, but the wind is at our backs. The Holy Spirit is on our side. The Son of God sends us and calls us. You call us, you beckon us to follow you into freedom, into life, into joy, and we don't know how to get it for ourselves, even though we think we do. We often taste the fruit of pursuing life on our terms, and the fruit is bitter. And so, Lord, would you show us today, what are you calling us to change? What are you calling us to stop offering ourselves to? Would you give us the courage to reach out for help? Would you give us the, the ability to say yes one step at a time and to admit where we haven't, to continue to grow? But before all of that, it was your death that made that possible. You paid the price to pull us out of prison. And so, Lord, would, would you give us, would you empower us by your spirits to put the key in the keyhole and to turn it and to start walking into a scary life because it's not what we're used to, but a beautiful life that we'll be so glad we stepped into. And it's because you died for us, Jesus. Your body and blood was broken. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. And go ahead and take the wafer and the juice. Would you guys stand with me now for worship? Um, I encourage you to either sing um, or to actually think through how can I offer more of myself to you, not just through song. What are you calling me to do to start that process of not offering myself to sin, but offering myself to you because I've been set free.